What's up, guys, and happy Veterans Day week. Uh, we are Take or Miss, and once again, I am John Morkin, and I am here along with one of my co-hosts, Khalil. Uh, unfortunately, we are without Anna this week as she is out of town, but she'll be back with us uh, next week, so, you know, just everybody stay calm. Uh, today is no Saturday, November 14th, and we have an awesome, awesome guest this week for Veterans Day. Army Special Forces veteran and uh, former long snapper for the Texas Longhorns, as well as the, C the Seattle Seahawks briefly. Uh, Nate Boyer joins us for a, a great interview and talks about his new film, uh, his first ever film that he's produced, Merging Vets and Players organization that he co-founded with uh, Jay Glazer. Briefly talk about his football career, Colin Kaepernick's protest, as well as a very touching uh, Players' Tribune article that was released on Veterans Day. Also, make sure to follow our Twitter at TakerMissUCLA and tweet us any questions or roasts or hot takes. We would really appreciate that, and we'll we'll get to it in the next uh, in next week's recording. Khalil, how you doing, my brother? Hopefully, better than UCLA's defense last week. I mean, I'm not I'm not as porous as that, so I count that as a win. Yeah, let's talk about that. So UCLA's first game last Saturday uh, was going on while we were while we uh, were live. Um, not great. Defense is not great. You're not going to win many games turning the ball over four times in the first half. And honestly, well, we got down by two or three scores, and then. You know, kind of after that, obviously, adjustments were made and stuff like that. And it was just touchdown, trade to trading touchdowns the rest of the way. And ultimately, we came up short by one score in the end. But um, quarterback looks, he's just throwing the ball everywhere. The defense can't stop a high school JV squad. Um, Colorado is one of the two for sure, especially if you listen to Ben uh, last week, Ben Bolch, the interview with Ben Bolch last week. Colorado was honestly one of the two locks it was supposed to be a lock um victories for the season but ended up being a really disappointing loss and uh obviously the chip kelly year three experiment is off to a really poor start so what are your what do you have any takeaways on that game uh man my takeaway is that it was a giveaway i mean just forking up the ball over and over again it's it's difficult for me because it's hard to know who to blame in that situation, right? Because there are so many people that could take responsibility. Yeah. You could put it on the quarterback and his uh, allegedly small hands. And the what was that, like four interceptions that he threw in just the first half alone? You could put it on the defense. You could put it on Chip. I mean, it's just the list goes on and on. And the thing that's tough is that I feel like they're going to – people are going to look at the score. I think it was like 42-47, and they're going to think – oh, yeah, man, we were close, we were in it, and, you know, this was like a heroic loss, basically, but they literally ran us off the yeah. field in the first half, and then they gave the game back, and then we gave it right back to them, right? So we just, like, the momentum, we just passed the momentum, like, back and forth over and over again, and I, we were texting the whole time, and I, I really wanted it to go well for you specifically because you were over there getting hyped up, man. And I, I really wanted to – I wanted to believe with you, man. Yeah. I wanted to believe with you. But it's just tough, man. It's tough. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a lot of uh, equal blame to be shared, you know, uh, equally 
all around, but uh, especially what you imagine. But yeah, it looks like it's going to be a rough one. But COVID news, big COVID news. The state of Utah is absolutely a disgrace right now as far as like COVID handling and stuff like that. So the game a few hours ago. Okay, so we're recording this on we're recording this segment on Thursday night. So just a little while ago on Thursday evening, um, Utah game was canceled for this Saturday. But which I was shocked by this. UCLA did a quick turnaround and like an hour later, they uh, earlier tonight, they, they announced that they're going to play Cal. So they'll be playing Cal here in LA um, on a quick, like what, two day turnaround. So God knows what we can expect from that, but it's good. To, it's good to see that we'll, um, we'll, uh, we'll play Cal this year, but uh, yeah. So 9am game on Saturday. So by the time, you know what? I'm going to give a bold prediction. By the time we're on air, we will be one and one. We're going to turn it around. We're going to get this one because if we don't, we might win one game this year. And honestly, that thought gives me chills. So, and I'm definitely not going to, I'm definitely, definitely not going to address the fact that USC had an incredible comeback win, getting an onside kick in the last two minutes of a game versus Arizona state. Definitely not going to talk about that, but uh, yeah. Fun times, fun times. Boo, boo. Let's uh, let's talk some NBA because we have a huge, huge week coming up ahead for uh, the NBA offseason. Um, right, Monday the transaction window opens, and the NBA draft is on Wednesday. Obviously, you're, <laughs> that's a bigger deal for you than than me. But uh, I don't know. Let's talk about the draft, man, this year first, first and foremost, before we get into like some rumor, you know, some uh, possible free agent and trade, you know, rumors for this, this off season. I mean, give me some draft hot takes. Hot takes for the draft. I feel like everybody in this draft is like a walking hot take, right? Cause I, I, I don't think I've seen less consensus in any draft since I've been a fan of the sport. Agreed. Period. Like literally every single mock draft, every big board that I look at, it's completely different. The only thing weirdly that doesn't change is that everybody thinks that James Wiseman is going to the Warriors, yeah. which I think, which I find hilarious. Like number two is locked for whatever reason, but everybody else, like it could be Anthony Edwards at number one. It could be LaMelo at number one. Denny Avdia could be going to the Bulls, the, the Cavaliers, you know, mm-hmm. the Hawks. You know, no one, no one knows where anybody is going. Agreed. And that's why I think, I think, I think the 16th Monday is going to be a lot more interesting than the draft itself because I think that a bunch of teams are going to move their picks. That's my. I think there's going to be like three trades in the lottery this year, at least. You, you, do you think that these will be day of, like draft day trades, or, or are you talking like beforehand? It depends on how. It depends on on what the deals are. I feel like if they include like big time players. They'll probably be like day of because you need a bunch of time to execute those and negotiate them and stuff. And it's going to go down to the wire. But if it's just picks like, you know, oh, I want to trade, you know, my late first next year and my pick this year for number three or something, then we'll probably hear about it on Monday, Tuesday. It's just going to be really interesting to see what teams value. And I think that what they do in the draft is going to clarify that for us. Like, who the Warriors take and if they even choose to stay at two is a huge question. Agreed. Yeah, because they have a huge like piece that they're they're it's no secret that they're 
them uh, acquiring Anthony or I'm sorry, Andrew Wiggins last year, that dude is not going to be a long-term warrior. That guy is a draft. He's a him and the number two pick. I think it's pretty much clear cut that they're trying to package that deal to, you know, land, uh, you know, a third, you know, or, well, yeah, I guess like a third, you know, superstar, you know, big three to go along with Steph and Clay, you know, when they return this season. Um, but yeah, but at the same time, they have such a need, you know, in the front court, you know, with uh, uh, alongside Draymond Green that it's it's ironic. It's funny that James Wiseman is the only um, like solid or consist, consistent, you know, pick. But that's bold to assume that they're going to stay there. So, yeah, I, I, I think Monday – I think starting Monday, it'll be really, really interesting. And we'll, uh, I'm sure we'll start seeing a lot of juicy drama in the NBA, but uh, dude, my biggest thing up until up, even these last two years before LaMelo even came, you know, draft or was draft eligible. Is that dude legit? Is he legit? And is he going to Minnesota or is he going one? Is he going three is he's not going to Minnesota. I can, I can say that pretty confidently. He's not going to Minnesota. It's not happening. It, just because he's too he's too similar to D'Angelo, they're both they're both really really skilled passers. They both have defensive questions, and they both need the ball in their hands, right? And D'Angelo, I feel like he's done enough to establish himself in the league. Like he went through, he took his lumps in L.A. and then he really built himself back up. And I feel like he's he's their guy now at point guard, especially because of his relationship with Cat and. What they need now in the backcourt is somebody with defensive upside and somebody who can make athletic plays, right? Because that's the one thing missing from D'Angelo's game is the ability to use athleticism to blow by guys, get to the rim, collapse the defense, create opportunities for his teammates that way. He's more of like a crafty guy, Mm -hmm. um, shifty athlete. And so LaMelo's not the best pick for that. And I, that's why I see Anthony Edwards going there. I think he's I, I think he's a better fit than a lot of people think. I think people kind of just like to nitpick when guys don't do well on college teams and they don't really take the context into account. I think Anthony Edwards could easily end up being like the best player in this draft. Wow, you think? Dude, I, I, I honestly think he has a better chance of it than any other prospect, including LaMelo, because he has – there's so little for him to do to get – to the point where we can believe in that, right? Because all he has to do is show us that the jumper's better than he showed in college, Mm -hmm. which already, like, his percentage doesn't look good, 29%, but he was shooting seven a game, and a lot of those were self-created shots because he was playing with, like, a bunch of ham sandwiches over there. So, also, his free throw percentage is pretty sterling. Mm -hmm. So, and that's that's usually, for anybody that doesn't know, free throw percentage is actually a better indicator for – three-point accuracy at the NBA level than three-point accuracy in college, weirdly enough. So I saw there's a kid out of Alabama. He's a sophomore point guard, right? Kira Lewis. That dude is flying up draft boards right now, I I saw. So um, I saw that. So I'm looking at the CBS. So CBS thinks that they're the the New Orleans Pelicans are going to trade up and draft him. And seemingly to replace Drew Holiday, which that segues into some free agency talk and some trade talk. Is yeah, some only some? It's not like the whole league is trying to trade everybody right now. Right, right. But 
I was kidding. Everybody's trying to trade everybody right now. It's yeah. ridiculous. Every time you look up, <laughs> it's like, oh, you know, Anthony Davis wants to be a Pelican or Drew Holiday wants to be a Magic. And I'm not really sure how much of it is true, how much of it is just smoke. I believe the Russell Westbrook stuff for sure. Oh yeah, I do. Think, I do think Drew Holiday. I, I, I. Have, there's like a 95 percent chance that Drew Holiday is not a Pelican by the end of this offseason. I will up you. I think there's a hundred percent. No, he he is actually. I'm a huge, huge Drew Holiday guy. Also, shout out Bruins. He's a UCLA Bruin, but I love Drew Holiday. I think he is the most slept-on point guard over the past like five years. Out of all, I think he's top three. That's a hot, that is my freezing hot take this week. I think Drew Holiday is a top three point guard today in, in this league. I just think he's so valuable and so efficient on both ends of the floor. He's the most complete. I know you hate Damian Lillard and stuff like that, but I mean, Dame, Dame will fill you up on the offensive side, but I mean, he's definitely leaves a lot to be desired on the, on the defensive side. You know what I mean? Russell Westbrook. I mean, he's a shit show in itself you know what I mean <laughs> but I I think I, I hate to Stephanie Smith you right now but you're completely wrong and here's why number one I don't hate Damian Lillard number two Russell Westbrook is not a shit show he is a top three point guard number three okay Drew Holiday is a shooting guard he cannot play point guard if you could play it, honestly if Drew Holiday could play point guard then the Pelicans would have made the playoffs that's the thing. But he's like a he's like a really, really I agree with you that he's underrated. He's one of the best like man defenders in the league and at a position where that matters. Right. Like his perimeter defense. I will never forget the way that he locked up your boy Damian Lillard and embarrassed him when he was the three seed. I'll never forget that. They swept that team and people want to remember A.D. in that series. They oh. swept that team because Drew Holiday shut Damian Lillard the fuck down. That's OK. Right. So I agree with you. He's great. Um, where do you think he's going? Man, you know I want him in Milwaukee. We'll give you Eric Bledsoe straight up. Straight up. Dump his ass. Man, but I don't know. I think – I actually think the Clippers would be an awesome – that would be an awesome uh, uh, destination for him, wouldn't it? Price is too high, I think, because – you're gonna. You'd need an asset to trade for him, and the Clippers they don't have anything. I mean, maybe if you threw in Shamit, that would actually be kind of interesting. If you were able to like make Shamit the the asset in that trade, maybe throw in like whatever first they have left. I don't even know if they have first yet. Like, I don't think they do. I'm pretty sure that my unborn child is gonna be starting college before the Clippers pick in the first round. So. <laughs> oh man, yeah, they they do not have a first round pick this year. Yeah. Yeah. Confirm. They do not. <laughs> but, but yeah. So, I mean, what about Russell Westbrook? Because I think the Clippers will be actually one of the most uh, uh, active teams in this off season. And I don't know, CP three, are we thinking Russell Westbrook? Are we thinking Drew holiday? I think, I think that's where Russ is going. A couple different things. So number one, I think it's a good deal. For both teams, actually, because I think that it, it fixes a lot of problems for both of them. So the Rockets, according to the most recent reporting, they want to stay committed to this championship window. They don't want to blow it up. So in order to do that, they're going to need to flip him for somebody that can be a contributor now. 
preferably a couple of those guys to really build up depth on this roster. The depth was a huge issue for them this year. It was a big part of the reason why they weren't able to make a deep run. Um, and the Clippers would be able to offer that to them, right? Because any deal for him would involve a Montrez Harrell sign and trade. You'd have to throw in Lou Williams and you'd probably throw in some third guy like a, like a Zubats or a Rodney Magruder or somebody else just to match salary. But already, right, that means that the Rockets are getting really good role players. They're getting really good bench scoring. And the Clippers are getting the transition offense that they were missing this year. And they're getting the passing that they needed this year. And this is my freezing hot take, even though I don't think it is a freezing hot take. They're getting the leadership that they needed, man. He is a vocal leader in the locker room. There are fans of him all over the league. Paul George loves the guy. Ennis Cantor loves the guy. Victor Oladipo, Dennis Schroeder. They just never stopped gushing about how much they learned from him. So I don't know where he got this reputation uh, for being like a locker room cancer or a guy that guys that can't play with. You know, I know that he and Kevin Durant have had their issues, but given everything that we've seen with Kevin Durant recently, like with the Warriors and yeah. his war against the blog boys, I mean, yeah. are we really going to take Kevin Durant's side in this? Like, that's the thing. I just feel like we need to interrogate that a little bit more and make sure that we're not just – resorting to groupthink. I think he's a really good player, and I think he'd be really valuable in their system. I, I, I'm I, all for it. I think – I don't know. I'm not a Ty Lue believer. I think they're absolutely right to stay in this championship window. They got Kawhi, obviously, kind of got to, you know, build around that and, and whatever pieces they end up do – assets they do keep from, from last season and stuff like that. But I, I completely agree. I think they should kind of reshuffle, you know, the, the roster and stuff like that. Um, and – yeah, run it back next year because I, in my opinion, I thought the Clippers were going to win the, the final. It was going to be the either the Bucks or the uh, the Clippers in the finals. Obviously, that was the worst take of my life. But uh, I, I don't, I don't think it's over for them. I think it's actually quite the opposite. So I, yeah, it'll, I look to the Clippers to definitely be the most active uh, team in in this offseason. Also, I have to make it. I had to make it known. Giannis is expected to. Uh, to sign a Supermax in Milwaukee. So RIP in peace to Golden State Warriors fans. Dude, RIP in peace to Giannis's career. Hey, chill out, bro. Chill out. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> no we're, get, we're coming. We're getting that ring next year. Ah, Dude, Look, like Chris Middleton, I love the guy to death, but he's like, that dude's not it. And Giannis, good as he is, we had the same conversation was it last week or the week before about Anthony Davis not being the best player in the league because the dude can't be your primary playmaker? And I feel like we're bumping up against that with Giannis, right? Like, yeah, he's a two-time MVP. Yeah, he's a defensive player of the year. But that dude cannot – that dude can't carry your offense. And with the way that they're set up, if he signs a Supermax, I don't know if they're going to have the flexibility to bring somebody in. We are definitely going to revisit this later. And on and on, I promise. <laughs> this is not over. Uh, let's get to our interview. Um, we have Nate Boyer, and we recorded on Wednesday nights. Um, great interview, uh, about 40 minutes of, of, you know, really, really honest, really awesome, really, you know, somber at times uh, interview um, with Nate. Um, enjoy that. And without further ado, Nate Boyer.
Our guest today is a former long snapper at the University of Texas, a former member of the Seattle Seahawks, uh, co-founder of Merging Vets and Players, and he is involved with uh, several other veteran several other veteran organizations. It's Army Green Beret, and according to Wikipedia, occasionally also an actor. <laughs> Did you just lean back when you said? Merging vets and players so that the screen could see what was on your chest. So you could see that I'm repping. Uh, he is my personal friend. Please welcome Nate Boyer. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on with us tonight. And uh, happy Veterans Day. Happy Veterans Day week. This is Veterans Day week included. And let's. Same to you. Thank you. Thank you. Let us uh, start off by telling us about your latest project that you just finished. Yeah, I just. Uh... Just finished directing my first movie, uh, feature film about the genesis of what Merging Vets and Players is. We bring combat vets, former professional athletes together, help them find purpose, community, service, that locker room again when the uniform comes off. You know, we lose our identity and the camaraderie and it's easy to feel lost and feel like you'll never be great again. Well, the movie is loosely based on how it actually started. So it's about a... Uh, a combat veteran, a Marine that was living in a homeless shelter on Sunset Boulevard in East Hollywood and a former NFL player who's living in West Hollywood um, above Sunset Boulevard. And these two guys have nothing in common, different skin colors, you know, different backgrounds. One guy is obviously living in a shelter. The other one's got a wife and a kid and like on the outside, things are looking great. But the reality is they're going through the exact same thing and they find this common bond and and ultimately save each other, um, you know, through the, the process of the story. And uh, yeah, it's cool because it's really personal. We had a lot of vets involved with it too, in front of and behind the camera. Every veteran in the movie is played by an actual veteran, um, which was awesome. But then we also had guys like Michael Strahan and Tony Gonzalez and Glaze, Jay Glazer and uh, um, Tom Arnold's in it. Um, Randy Couture, you know, a lot of these athletes are playing actual athletes. Uh, and it's, it's great, man. It's, uh, it's, we're in post-production now. It's going to take several months, I think, for it to get done, maybe longer than normal because of the pandemic and whatnot. But hopefully we get it out there by, uh, you know, next summer or at least next football season at the latest. So that's the goal. So what kind of, for the listeners, like what kind of uh, production is it? Is it like documentary style or is it, is it li literally like a movie, you know, with a full plot and stuff like that? And uh, also where, you know, when you guys release it next year, uh, the projected date, where's it going to be available? Where can we watch it? Sell it first. You know, how these, you know how these things work. You live in LA. Do you not, not know how these things work? Oh man. I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> it's an indie movie. I mean, once in a while, <laughs> if it's a big studio movie, they know where it's going. But if it's an indie movie, man, you don't know, you know, you just got to get it done and you got to sell it, find a distributor and then they'll, they'll help find, you know, where it lives, whether it's on Netflix, Amazon type thing or, you know, the, the theater deal is probably not something that's actually, I don't know, genuinely going to happen uh, for this movie and probably a lot of movies that are in the smaller budget realm right now, just because it's not really worth it because not a lot of people are going to the movies these days. And I imagine it won't change too much next year. Um, but uh, yeah, so projected date, you don't really know um, where it's going to live. You don't really know. It is a scripted movie. It's a, it's a feat. That's what a yeah, feature film. So It'd probably be about an hour and a half to an hour, 45 minutes long, um, you know, acted, you know, dramatic, whatever narrative, whatever you want to call it. Um, but it's a very real story. We kind of shot it docu style a little bit, like kind of that handheld 
um, feel to it. And uh, yeah, so far it looks, it looks great. It's just a matter of, it's hard to tell right now because I feel like I'm pretty new to the process too. And it's very rough right now. And so uh, I know we shot some awesome stuff, but at this point you're just like, Oh, you're just nervous, you know, but you, you got to add the music and the sound design and then the color correction and then some of the special effects and all this stuff. And it just changes what you have right now, but it looks great. Just the rough footage alone looks great. Do you have a title for it? Working titles MVP. So I don't know if that's what it was. I don't know if it'll just be MVP or not. We're not sure yet. So I mean, that's Glazer cool. suggested transition sucks. And I was like, that's the worst name I've ever that's had. That's awful. Jay, that's terrible. God. Oh, as if he, as if he would listen to this. <laughs> yeah, we should have him on next week. So hopefully. <laughs> Are you? Maybe. Yeah. He said he would. Nice. All right. Cool. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. So speaking of, uh, you know, uh, acting, producing, you know, film and stuff like that, Anna, our co-host, she, uh, she's wondering like, how did you get into the acting and producing scene? You know, is this something after, you know, post-military, post-football, or is this something you always try to do and stuff like that? Just kind of expound on that. I was super interested in it when I was like 19. That's when I first started getting interested. I lived in, I grew up in the Bay area, moved down to San Diego, worked on a fishing boat for a while did all kinds of odd jobs and whatnot. And then that was something that I wanted to do. So I came up here, you know, moved to, uh, moved to Los Angeles, uh, a couple of years after I was, I'd been here, you know, nine or a year after I'd been here, nine 11 happened. And then a couple of years after that, I ended up joining the military and going off and doing that. Um, but it was always something that was uh, of interest to me. And it just eventually came back around to it. And, uh, it's interesting now, like I'm at this point in my life, just with everything that's gone on too. I really enjoy it. I'm just trying to figure out how it's going to work next and how like, I'm not just going to stick around and wait for things to get better. I want to keep making stuff and kind of being proactive. So trying to figure that out, navigating it through this whole COVID stuff and all the restrictions is pretty challenging, but you know, we're problem solvers. I think in the military, it's what we do. So that's, that's what making a movie is. It's just solving problems all day long. What a time to jump into uh, your biggest project yet today. What a time to jump into it. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's talk, you know, about MVP a little bit more, just, you know, just real briefly. So how did you, I, you know, out of all the time, I'm a, you know, emerging veteran player member myself. How the heck did you, I don't even know how you and Jay actually connected to start MVP. Like, was it his idea? Was it your idea? Like how, I don't know. His story is always kind of vague when, whenever he talks about it on TV or whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, what it was, exactly it was his, it was definitely his idea. Um, we, I met him when I, I came out to LA at 2015 in 2015 after college and was training at the gym uh, before I got the opportunity with the Seahawks. And that's how I met Jay. And then when I got released and came back like the end of the year is when we were talking about, I was thinking about joining back into the military. I didn't know what I was going to do. And Jay was like, no, let's start a charity. Let's do this thing, you know? And, and he said, what about this idea? And it was ironic. Cause like, like we'd both been, I've been talking to a lot of vets about, you know, struggles, transition. People wanted to hear my story. People like Denver even um, who helps run our LA chapter now. And Jay's always talking to, you know, former NFL players, coaches, and all these guys that like, they get lost, you know, they lose that purpose and, and, like they're in their twenties and thirties and you feel like you're, you're peak, you've peaked and that's uh, and they just don't know what to do yet. You know, so they all end up calling Jay like, Hey, help me. What do I do? And he's like, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> you got to figure something out. And uh, 
because broadcasting is not the answer for everybody. And so that was where it started just in, in his living room talking about it. And then we just got the, you know, the 501 C three paperwork in and we just started figuring it out from there. And it started with like Denver bringing some of the guys up from the Hollywood veteran center, which is, you know, basically that, that where that shelter from the movie, it, it was that place. And we got the film on location there in the movie too, which was really cool, but they just shut down uh, September 30th for good. They lost funding um, this year. So it's moving, it's changing into a different thing, but um, anyway, that's how it started. Interesting. I didn't, I didn't know that you were actually going to the gym before just yeah. on your own. You know what I mean? I <laughs> yeah. I was just training. I mean, like I came to LA and I was doing an internship to finish my master's degree mm. and I just, uh, I just heard from a couple people that this was the place to go to train. If you were, you know, trying to make it in the league or get a second chance or whatever, like a lot of these guys, like Alden Smith this last year. And for me, it wasn't a second chance, but it's like, I was 34. I was a little bit different story. So I needed someone like Jay in my corner too. You know, you need that hype man, someone that can like train you, but also like spread word around the league. Like, Hey, this guy's legit. And he's, he's working his butt off and, um, he can snap. I know he's 34, but like, just take a look. So it helped. This is another question from Anna. Um, let's talk football, man. What, what yeah. motivated you to walk onto the, you know, Texas, you know, the Longhorns football team having never played organized football prior. That is actually insane. Like that's what, what motivated me that I'd never played before. And I regretted it because it was my favorite sport, you know? And I wanted to go, I'd never been to Austin before. Well, I'd been to Austin once, but I, you know, I never lived in Texas or anything, but I just, man, I just, uh, I wanted to go to a school with like a legendary program and um, wanted to be a part of something bigger than me. And uh, I just, Austin just made sense. And I just went, you know, I just chose Texas and, and it was the right decision. It, it was, it suited me perfect, man. I mean, I wouldn't change a thing. How many years did you play? Only one year? No, I played three years. I was on the team for five, actually. I redshirted my first year, but oh, shit. Um, my second year, I played a little bit on kickoff. Oh, I win one game. I got to play on kickoff coverage because we were blowing them out and it was like on Veterans Day. But uh, <laughs> uh, then I started long snapping that off season and won the starting job and started for three years after that as the long snapper. Wow. Wow. Um, so that leads me to my next question, Nate. Okay. On September 13th, 2014, you guys lost to UCLA 20 to 17 in Arlington or in Texas, somewhere, wherever. That's right. That was my senior year. Yeah. Would you say that that was your most embarrassing loss of your college career? <laughs> uh, most embarrassing loss? Man. Maybe in the games I played in, just because it was in Jerry World. Oh, yeah. And, and honestly, the worst part about it was we knocked out uh Hunley Todd Hunley was a quarterback that year and we knocked him out of the game and had the lead and then they put new Heisel in uh and who was a backup they never played he comes in we're up 17 13 and we got a punt right so we punt the ball it's like a boomer down this in the corner guy gets pinned we had like an illegal shift though so we had to punt it again and so we went all the way back, punted again. Our, our punter kicked it right down the middle of the field, which you never do on a punt. And the dude returned it like 50 yards Jeez. and set them up. And then New Heisel threw this like touchdown pass in the last minute and freaking beat us. It was bad, dude. It was, it was, it was a little embarrassing. Brett Hunley. <laughs> Brett Hunley. But they were, Sorry, I mean, Brett Hunley. 
The Brewers. Todd Huntley. The Brewers. Todd Huntley plays baseball. Yeah, I don't know who the hell Todd Huntley is. Yeah, Todd Huntley's a baseball player. My bad. Red Huntley. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, you know what? Okay. So basically, what you're telling me, see, I, I mean, I played a little bit of football in high school in Wisconsin, small town Wisconsin, but are you telling me that as an older student vet, are you telling me that I should go out for the Bruins? Should I go out for the team or what? Yeah. Why wouldn't you? Dude, we're terrible. I might. <laughs> should. Uh, Why not? Yeah. Dude, yeah. One game in and we're already terrible. Wow. <laughs> what happened to optimism? What happened to optimism, John? Dude, if you yeah, they need help on D, they need help on D, man. Uh, Chip's got them dialed up on offense. They just need to get that D going, man. That's what I'm they saying. They can score some points. They score a lot of points. I'll crack some heads. <laughs> Chip's a good guy, though, man. He's a good guy. He's a good coach. He, he, he could use you, so. You know, in shape? Are you in shape right now? Hell yeah. I'm on the rowing team. We're doing beach runs and running around campus and stuff like that, man. Isn't that a rowing team girls? (laughs) Is there a men's? We didn't have a men's men's and a women's team, man. Have some respect. I think in Texas, we just had women's. Oh, really? They're really good, too. They, yeah. (laughs) They probably had a men's team, but I think it was a club team. I think the, the women's one was like a scholarship team, though. What? I thought oh, yeah. all here it's both. It's club. It's both of them are club. I thought yeah, all no, I think I think, I think at Texas the women's rowing team's like legit. Okay. Well, not the club's not legit, but it's like yeah. you know what I mean? It's like a scholarship sport or whatever. Next year, next year I'm trying to you know, Chip Coach Kelly actually is he's a big uh supporter of uh merging vets and players and stuff like that. He's he a big supporter. Of meeting, so. yep. Yeah, he's he's awesome. He's awesome for the vets. Go try out. <laughs> I'm gonna catch him one of these times in a zoom. Need a middle yeah. linebacker. <laughs> uh, let's let's just briefly segue into uh, you know so post you know college football NFL comes around and stuff like that. Obviously, you got picked up by the uh, Seattle Seahawks. Uh, took part in their training camp and stuff. Um, the the Kaepernick thing, man. I you know that's that's obviously you know this is actually funny. I met or I heard of you or knew of you pretty much that year. And I was still up in Fort Lewis, Washington. I was still in the army myself. And I'd followed Jay on, on, you know, Twitter for, for years. So if I remember correctly, this is before I ever met you, right? I responded to a tweet by Jay and you may not remember this because you know, some random anonymous, you know, tweet on Twitter. I was laughing at Jay. I was kind of roasting one of his, uh, one of his takes that combat vets or veterans should be, referees in the nfl because nobody would mess with them nobody would mess with the combat vet right and then you actually quoted my tweet i wasn't even tweeting at you you quoted my tweet and said or basically like reaffirmed you know what he said it was nothing like you know harm you know no harm no foul or nothing like that but you just kind of basically like uh reaffirmed what he said but can we both agree can we all collectively agree that you know, we should omit the Air Force and the Coast Guard out of these, you know, out of these referees or what? Huh. Well, do you know about battlefields or ball fields? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah I do. And started by Mike Pereira, who's another Fox, uh, yeah. part of this Fox Sports family, Fox NFL family. And he's, uh, he started that and, uh, uh, yeah, I was on the board and it's, it's pretty cool, man. I know it's probably tough right now because it's, everything's in upheaval, you know, sports wise in the country, especially youth sports, high school sports, stuff like that. But it's a great idea. Um, great concept and totally makes sense. You know, you, the teamwork out there, the decisiveness, um, having to make quick decisions, being able to take getting berated by coaches and fans, like we can handle that. You got a point there, but I don't know, man. 
no Air Force. So, you know, this year, 2020, has been a crazy year, man. It's, it's been absolutely, you know, just just wild, right? Um, I've seen your famous picture resurface, uh, you know, obviously you standing in support of, you know, next to Colin, you know, during his uh, kneeling, you know, peaceful protests and stuff like that back in, uh, was it 2015? 2015? 2016. And um, it, it, you know, it came up a lot, you know, just on social media resurfacing on, you know, a little bit of mass media and stuff like that. Um, when all the social injustice, you know, kind of the turmoil was, was flooding the news uh, earlier this year. And uh, looking back, both of you guys actually kind of trailblazed, you know, protesting and, and social just stances in American, in, in American professional sports. So like the NFL has been criticized, you know, highly in the past, obviously, about not taking enough of a stand, you know, with its platform uh, to bring awareness to like, you know, social justice issues and things like that. So do you, I mean, do you feel like you and Colin are, are seeing the efforts of, of those protests back then or of that protest and you supporting his protest back then openly, are you seeing that, you know, the benefits of that come to fruition now in the NFL, now that there is, you know, kind of social media, media met, or social justice, you know, messages on the fields and on yeah. the helmets, little decals and stuff like that. Are you finally seeing those things like kind of come to fruition you well, know, years later? First of all, I never supported the protests. I always supported his rights because those are the rights we fought for. You know, I think that's an important distinction. Um, I don't disagree with at all with like why he was protesting. I think all those things need to be changed, need to improve. But I, I just want to make sure that people understand that because that's like a debatable topic. And a lot of people, times people like really misunderstand and they think like I asked him to protest or I told him he should protest. You know, what I did was when we met, I, I, uh, I suggested a different way of doing it that I thought was potentially more powerful because he asked me. Do you think I can, another, there's another way I can protest that won't offend people in the military. And I was like, man, no matter what you do, somebody's going to be offended. But I think being alongside your teammates is important. And if you're not going to stand, you know, I think taking a knee is a respectful way to do that while still showing you're with the guys on your left and right, that you're going to go play the game with, even if they, some of them don't agree with you. It's like, you're respectful enough to them to be with them in that moment. And he agreed. And that was great. So I think that's important to know. Like I, we, we all took the oath to defend the constitution, which includes the first amendment and all that, but I don't have to agree with everything he says or does. I don't even have to agree with his form of protest necessarily. Um, what I do agree, or I don't have to agree with his message. Even I do agree with his message personally. And I think that, you know, I don't want to live in a place where people aren't held accountable um, no matter what uniform they were where. And I want to live in a place where, those symbols, the flag, the anthem, the things that I hold dear and they mean a lot to me, I want them to represent what they should in our country. And I want them to, you know, always, I want us to always strive to be better and not just be okay with stuff being good enough. I think over this last year, like a lot has changed, but there's always like a little asterisk or a grain of salt to me because sometimes it's social pressure is why people step up and say, oh yeah, now I'm all with this thing, man. I can't believe I didn't think of that before. And I'm like, are you really, or are you saying that because if you don't, you get branded a racist, you know? And it's like a, it's a weird societal place where we're at right now. I think there's a lot of people to your point that have learned a lot, changed their tune, opened their mind. You know, even myself, I've learned a ton. I've come a long way, but there's also a lot of people that I think, I think they sort of mask um, real understanding and empathy with like social pressure, you know what I mean? 
and they they don't want out of all they're doing something out of obligation just like standing for the anthem i don't want someone to stand for the anthem out of obligation i want them to stand because they want to stand you know and they understand what it means um same thing with this i don't want someone to take a knee out of obligation or to say you know oh i support black Night lives matter now because they feel like if they don't it means they're racist like understand what it is really learn about it and you know be a part of of the conversation and actually making change and do what you can to uh, make this country better involving everybody with in, you know, that's the best way to do it uh, is to do it together. And it's a tough time in our nation's history to do that because we're very divided and very angry. Um, but we just got to do better. We got to keep trying. We can't give up on one another. And uh, yeah, we got to find creative ways to, um, to listen to those that we don't necessarily agree with sometimes and try to understand their, where they're coming from. Okay. Man, that was, thank you for that. Um, so a quick question from Anna that she had wanted us to run by you. What do you think about Colin Kaepernick not being signed with any team at the moment? Do you think that it's a form of retaliation or? Uh, I mean, it's been four years now, so I think it's kind of tough at this point either way. I mean, it was, it's a, it, that's an interesting, that's a whole nother can of worms. That's an interesting very highly debatable topic because in 2016, I mean, he, he did opt out of his contract at the end of the season. He had lost his starting job the year before. So technically he was a backup until I think Blaine Gabbert got injured. And then he took over the starting job again, had some good stats that year, but the team only won two games. Um, and he was protesting, you know, and people were not most people, more people were more people in the league we're not comfortable with that because it's like they're worried about losing sponsorships and they did lose some and they're worried about dividing fan bases and like, Oh, we don't want to be a lightning rod. We just want to be football. We don't want to be political. And so, but in that off season, you know, the Denver Broncos offered him a contract and he turned it down. It was far less money, but it was like they offered him a contract to come in and compete for the starting job. Not like for sure you're going to be the starter. And he turned that down. And then at that point, no other team, uh, really offered him anything, you know, worth a damn. He, he met with the, I know he trained, he went out and uh, met with the Seahawks and the Ravens were interested in signing him, but it ultimately didn't end up happening. And then, you know, sooner or later, it's like a year has passed, two years passed, three years passed. And, you know, it's just like this buildup and the conversation about, is he blackballed? It's like, at the end of the day, like they had, they settled out of court for not, nearly as much money as he was suing for. So I feel like there's an element of they probably didn't have the strongest case, but also the NFL wanted it to go away, you know, so they paid him off some money. Um, but it's like, I look at it this way. If he is not for sure a starter at that time, he's maybe a backup. Um, it's tough for a team to want to bring them into the, bring a guy like that into the locker room where they're afraid they're going to divide the locker room, you know, say like the Seahawks sign him, they got Russell Wilson, like caps the backup, but like Russell Wilson's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. But what if he has a few bad games? What if he starts to struggle? Then you got half the locker room being like, why don't you play cap? And if they don't, then it's like, is he not being played because of his, you know, social justice movement stuff and, who knows? You know what I mean? There's like, a, it's like a complicated deal. And also like, I feel like if it was almost any other position, it wouldn't be that conversation. Cause only 
until recently, people like Cam Newton, you know, that have a little more flash and swag, like that's never been a quarterback persona. It's always like, you're the general, you know, you, you keep it, you keep things um, pretty even keel. You're not a super emotional guy. You're definitely not outspoken when it comes to politics. Like that's not typically the, that what a quarterback does. So it's like, that's shifting, I think a lot now, but it, it still was like, it wasn't something that, you know, the league and I think a lot of the country was used to. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a pretty conservative fan base in football, uh, not only conservative, but larger than a sport like basketball, for instance, you know what I mean? So it's just, it's a really, there's a lot of nuance to that conversation for sure. Um, but do I think that there's certain organizations, certain teams, certain GMs, certain owners that were like, no matter what, I'm not signing this guy because I disagree with his political opinions. Yes. I think there's for sure some of those people. I just don't think it was the league as a whole. that was like, you know, let's all agree not to sign him. I, you know, in like a full on collusion blackball situation. I don't believe that personally, but that's just my opinion. So then just a quick football question then. In basketball, we're seeing, uh, you know, the player empowerment movement really giving a lot of control to players to kind of decide their own destinies and talk about the issues that they want to talk about on the court, off the court. And you notice that there's been a shift recently in quarterback personas also. What do you think the reason for that is? Uh, I mean, a lot of it's probably the stuff that's, you know, stuff with Colin. Um what, what do you mean? Like, what's what do you see as the shift in persona? Like, what's what 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 was it and what is it now, in your opinion? So, from what I've seen, the NFL's always marketed teams over players, and it seems like now players are starting to kind of come to the forefront and voice themselves a little bit more as individuals, and you're seeing guys almost act a little bit more. What's, what's the, what, what am I trying to say here? Like less buttoned up almost like you, you wouldn't have had like an Antonio Brown yeah. 10 years ago. Right. Right. So why do you think we're moving in that direction? Probably social media. <laughs> That's okay. probably the biggest reason. I don't know. Maybe because they're so much more accessible and they can always speak their mind. They don't need to like go to a press conference to talk about something. They can just blast it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that would be my guess. Cause that's changed a lot of dynamics in our country uh, period. You know, everybody has a voice now, even if it's, even if you only got 18 followers, you still got a voice, you know what I mean? Uh, and, and, and stuff can get shared and, and, and all of a sudden thousands of people have seen it, millions of people, whatever. So that's, that's a big change, you know, over the last decade and especially over the last five years, I think. Um, so maybe it's part of that too. Uh, I don't know. Like, that's a good question, but I mean, that's one of the reasons I think this whole everything that's happened in 2020, even with COVID, without social media, I mean, the George Floyd thing's a totally different. Maybe we never really hear about it. It's a maybe it's just a, you know, kind of a, an article buried in the paper somewhere, instead of um, something that was shared millions of times, you know, and people can see this eight minute video and then it, it's like the it's pressure on mainstream media to like definitely dig into that too. And then all of a sudden there's, you know, protests in the streets across the nation because people are 
fed up and they're restless being locked down. And like, it's just yeah. this crazy, you know, culmination of a bunch of things uh, that lead us to, to where we're at. But, you know, I think a lot of it's necessary. I, I'm, I'm worried for us too, at the same time, though, just as a nation, because um, we're really ugly to each other. <laughs> they're really ugly to each other. And it's, uh, it hurts, man. It hurts as a veteran um, just to see, you know, you go overseas and you fight for your country and you come home and it's like just ugliness. And uh, it's pretty sad. I think, I don't know what the answer is, but we need to, we need to take a real long look in the mirror and, and uh, change the way that we communicate with one another. Yeah. Speaking actually to your service, uh, I saw the letter that you put out yesterday, your letter to yourself. I read it and it was beautiful. I just have to say it, it was almost bringing me to tears. And, you know, I, I'm not a veteran, so it doesn't really speak right. to my experience, but it was no, really moving. Not, that wasn't intended for veterans. That was intended for people. That's yeah. It, you know. And I just wanted to ask you if you could reflect a little bit on Veterans Day and what it means to you, how you got there and your kind of journey to self-love and forgiveness, because that's something that you talked about a lot in that letter. It's ongoing journey, man, you know, and, uh, I, I have had this addiction for years with, you know, trying to, trying to, uh, do the biggest thing and save the most people I can. And like, you know, be this hero, like, because, and a lot of it stemmed from feeling like I didn't deserve what I had, you know what I mean? Whether it's, skin color, um, you know, two parents that were together and loved me, um, whatever. Uh, it, it's a, some people have that sort of unfounded guilt, I guess. And some people don't. Some people are just like, well, this is just my life. I always had it, man. I always felt like I don't deserve this. Why do I like, and, you know, we weren't like rich or anything, but it was like I saw what other people had to go through just in the States, not to mention globally. And I just felt like this is just not fair. You know what I mean? And uh, so with that, it was like, I got, I've got to like do something to help people that don't have what I have. I have to like spend my life, dedicate my life to fighting for those that can't fight for themselves and fighting for those that don't have um, what I have. And it, uh, it's not that that's a bad thing or a bad place to come from, but if you don't appreciate yourself and the ones around you that support you, um, you're not going to have a healthy mind and, and, and body and, and soul. And uh, I, uh, I did that, man. I neglected those that loved me and I was very selfish in a lot of ways. Cause it was like, I didn't appreciate what I did have and the people that put a lot into me, you know, and wanted, just wanted me to be happy. I pushed that stuff away and then like, oh, I'm just going to focus all my energy on, you know, fighting wars and, you know, volunteering in refugee camps and all these things, which are not bad things. But like, you got to find that balance where you can do both. You can, you can be a good son, a good, you know, husband, a good uh, just citizen, community member, um, friend, and still do all those things. Um, I felt like for some reason I just couldn't. Maybe I felt like I didn't deserve that either. Um, and it just got to the point this year. Maybe I got to be grateful for 
2020, even though it's been a real kick in the pants because I think it opened my eyes to a lot of things, you know, and uh, I did a lot of like sort of self exploration and tried some, some different types of therapy and um, it's sort of been breaking me down little by little until, you know, I lost someone very, very close to me, not by, not to a death. They just, you know, she loved me to, she loved me to death for 10 years and she just couldn't, she couldn't wait for me to change anymore and to come snap out of it. And uh, it sadly took losing her um, for me to, to snap out of it and to realize what I had and how much she and a lot of other people um, in my life cared for me and just sacrificed for me and were willing to just wait and, and hope and pray. And I just fought it, you know, I stiff armed it and, uh, and it was not, it didn't, it, it, it did not make me happy, but I just did it. Cause I was like, I'm, trust me, I'm protecting you. This is better for you if I do this. Cause I'm gonna, I'm gonna make your life worse, which isn't true. I just, that's what I believed. I built this, you know, I built this into my head, this persona and this under this lack of understanding. And, uh, you know, and then when you lose that person, person that's something that you're so comfortable with and so used to, and like, they know you and you know them better than anybody in the world and they're gone out of your life. There's this huge uh, vacuum. And at that point I was just like, wow. You know, and I started to to finally um, sort of accept and, and let myself feel all that love that like residual love from 10 years. It was just floating around in the universe and it's really powerful and overwhelming, but also incredibly, um, uh, painful. And I felt very, I feel very regret, regretful for the way that I was, the way that I acted and the neglect, um, and trying to do what I can to make up for it now. <laughs> and, uh, and it, it's got to start with just appreciating myself though, and trying to do my best not to beat myself up, but it's like, that's my go-to, you know, I've done it for a long time. And it's, it's hard to just say, well, I'm just not going to do that anymore. You just have to practice it and change your habits and be good to yourself too. And, and uh, so I'm starting on that path and we'll see what happens. We'll see where it takes me. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. Don't wait till you're, wait, don't wait till you're almost 40 years old. Like I did, man. (laughs) Don't just start now. I know I did a lot of cool stuff, but I, I, I hurt a lot of people, including myself for a long time. And did a lot of did a lot of damage too. So, you know uh, about vets. You know myself. I know you personally. Obviously, I call you a friend. You know a lot of a lot of our network. You know our uh, veteran network here in LA. You know we 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 truly know you who you know as you are and stuff like that. And as you've even shared in, in this interview and stuff like that. And you know and you know we accept you. We love you. You know you've done so much for us and and so much for our community and stuff like that. But you know, kind of back to like the past few years, you've received a lot of criticism from vets. I've seen it personally. I've heard it personally. You know, people talking to me about, oh, that Nate boy, you know, he's, you know, he's a so-and-so for so-and-so supporting so-and-so, you know what I mean? So like, how, I mean, how do you deal with that? Like, what do you feel about, you know, criticism you receive from other vets? About all the, the Kaepernick? You know, about like your, your, your affiliations or your supporting, you know, uh, openly, uh, you know, Colin Kaepernick with his, with his uh, with his peaceful protests and stuff like that when he was in the NFL, 
And on your website, I saw, you know, I will continue to stand. This is, this is a great quote that's on your website. You know, I'll continue to stand with pride when the anthem is played. That doesn't mean I'm against or don't support the reason in italics, the reason others kneel. We can spend the rest of our lives debating whether sitting, kneeling, standing on your head is offensive, or we can focus on fixing the why. I feel like a lot of people, especially veterans that are that you know crucify you on on social media and, and this and that, saying this and that about about uh, your support of that. I think they overlook that, right? They overlook, you know, the 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 the, the why, you know, the the reason why, you know, all we see is oh, that's disrespectful to the flag, that's disrespe disrespectful during the national anthem. And initially I felt that too, you know, when I first saw that too, but it took someone like you, you know, going on, on, on TV or, or on your social media and stuff like that and reminding us, Hey, we need to focus on the why, but I mean, how do you deal with that criticism from fellow vets? Cause I don't know about you, but I, I kind of value, you know, some of my brothers and sisters, you know, that are, that are veterans are serving and stuff like that. I very highly, you know, value their opinion, you know, compared to, you know, even, most other people, you know what I mean? So like, how do you deal with that? What, what does that make you feel? Well, I mean, of course it hurts, but like, I don't know, do you have to understand that everybody has a certain emotion feeling towards something based on their experiences, you know, based on what they've been through, what they've seen conversations they've had. So I can't judge them for that. You know, I, I, I can only, I could, I could, I could waste my time being angry about it. And I've done that plenty of times in my life, or I can just say, you know what, uh, I'd love to have a conversation about it with you and listen to you and, and hear why you feel the way that you feel if you want. But a lot of those people, they, they don't want to right now. They just want to be angry and that's okay. That's just, it's where they're at. You know, um, it's not wrong. I've been, like I said, I've been plenty angry, plenty of times. So it, it's, it's, uh, you know, it sticks and stones, man. I can't let it get to me. I usually, I know typically too, when people project like that, it's about something they don't like about themselves, you know, and that's why they, that's why they act that way. Um, but like I said, I've been that person too. So I can't be like, I'm above it. <laughs> I've been pr plenty pissed off about something for some, you know, something somebody said or stood for and, and just like, let it eat you alive. And it doesn't, uh, it's not good, man. I think it takes, takes years off your life when you do that when you act like that. And it's just not a good feeling to have. I don't want to walk around with that anger and rage all the time, man. Um, it's not healthy. Yeah. I think, uh, everyone can learn a little bit from you regarding that, but, uh, you know uh, what? I <laughs> thank you, brother. Thank you so much for coming on with us today. Um, this will be airing on Saturday at 5 PM. Uh, cool. check it out. Follow Nate on Instagram. What, what's your Twitter? I know your Instagram both, is at Nate 37. Yeah. They're both Follow the same. Nate uh look for mvp the movie mvp right. also go to vetsandplayers.org go to vets and players hey any any uh any combat vets that are uh that are listening to this and i'm going to distribute this to all my veteran friends all you know ucla lmu usc etc etc everybody and um yeah join go to vetsandplayers.com join up a, a chapter near you if you're here in la join up and uh yeah come see us in person yeah, and, and like 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 uh, Khalil mentioned, you know, uh, go to the Players Tribune and and read that article, and if you feel so inclined, share it because I think it's a good message, not just for veterans, just for, you know, I think it's a good message, and this is 
you know, it's not, I'm like, I'm, I don't make any money off of it. So don't like, I don't want anybody to think that like <laughs> downloading it makes me money, but it was very like from the heart and genuine and just where I'm at. And I think we need personally, I think we need more of that, that vulnerability. And I need to continue to work on that too. And the more that it gets out there, the more that it's going to hold me accountable as well. So anyway. All right. On next week's show, we have two hilarious comedians who are co-hosts with two others on a new golf podcast called Country Club Adjacent. Go check them out. They're two two episodes in so far. Absolutely great. Absolutely hilarious. Uh, Griff Pippen and Aristotle Jorgensen, a.k.a. Blake Weber on Instagram, as you know him on Instagram. Uh, they join us to talk Masters recap, uh, talk some golf culture, talk some shit, and some funnies and so on. Uh, we will also recap what we anticipate a big NBA week with the NBA draft and the transaction window obviously opening on Monday, as well as UCLA football, hopefully a big win over Cal, and anything else that comes up. Uh, be sure to follow our Twitter at Take or Miss UCLA. And uh, you can also follow me too on Instagram at not John Morkin, M-O-R-K-E-N for the last name. And uh, hit us with the comments, uh, questions, roasts, and we'll address it in our next show. Enjoy until next week. Peace out, y'all. Have a great one. Thank you for listening.